0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's up everyone and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I am your host, Will McFadden, here to preview a really exciting Falcons-Bengals Week 7 matchup. That's right. The reigning AFC champions. Falcons have already faced Super Bowl champion Rams. Didn't go too well, but they have an opportunity here to head on the road and make kind of another statement victory similar to the one that they made here at home this past weekend against San Francisco. And, And I really think that, number one, it's just really fun to be talking about matchups, right? Remember when... You used to have confidence in this team and you would say, yeah, Seattle, 2016, they're really good. We're going to go there. And how much it hurt to see them not throw a penalty flag on Richard Sherman on that last play against Julio Jones, because it just meant something. The expectations were greater. And we're starting to feel that again in Atlanta where, hey, through six games, one of the maybe the toughest stretch. On the Falcon schedule, they're 500. They've got one game left, and then they kind of hit an easier part. I saw PFF today list the Falcons as the easiest remaining schedule. So they get by this team, and honestly, it could start with this team because the Bengals haven't been a juggernaut all season. And can they make a run? And can they make something of of this season? That means that we're having more matchup-oriented conversations because each game matters. And trust me, as somebody who had to write a lot of matchup-oriented things for AtlantaFalcons.com back in my day, when it's week 14 and you've been at it for a little bit for a little while, um, nobody really cares about the matchup. Uh, they care more about next season. They care more about the drafts. They care more about this, that, and the other. But you know what you're not really hearing a lot of right now is draft talk in Atlanta. And I think that's a great thing because it means the games, which we wait all year for, matter a whole heck of a lot more so we are going to kind of preview that game before we do that though I'm going to touch on some news from the week and I also I do this every week but I dug deep into the game tape the all 22 from the 49ers Falcons games this past weekend I was at the game I actually had a great vantage point um, from behind the end zone in the press box so I got to see a lot of the cool uh, like if you watch the sky cam for college football that type of angle Um, but I wanted to go see what the All-22 looked like from the broadcast, from, you know, just another second look, a little closer up at the line of scrimmage. And I learned some really cool things about the Falcons offense, but about the team in general. And I'm going to share those with you before we get into my thoughts on this game. No guests this week, a couple of scheduling snafus. I'll take uh, the blame for that. I was a little bit late in getting out some requests. So going to hopefully get back on track next week ahead of the Panthers game and in-division game. So I will try to have a guest on to preview that for y'all today. I'm just flying solo. So let's take a a quick break and then we will get into it. Football is back and bet online remains your number one source for all your gridiron betting needs this season. You'll find latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, BetOnline features live betting and scores, free contests, and giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, like Major League Baseball, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit make sure to use promo code believe that is b-l-e-a-v once again b-l-e-a-v to receive your rewards and guys remember bet online where the game starts all right let's get to some news from the week here real quick uh start with the placement of casey Hayward on injured reserve, four weeks for him uh, being out. It's tough, really tough to see. I was in, you know, as I mentioned, the press box, saw him kind of walk off the field, gesturing towards his shoulder. It didn't look good. Uh, When he went down on the field, he kind of kicked his legs in frustration, and I feel for him. Um, He was starting to play really well. Obviously, this is not a great matchup to be without your number two corner, somebody who is as wily as they come after playing for so many years in the league, uh, in the AFC, particularly not that that matters too much against somebody like Jamar chase, who's only in his second year, but you get what I'm saying. It, it just stinks to lose him when you're about to face a team that loves to go three, four, five wide all the time. Um, and so in Casey Award's place, and we, you know, hope him a speedy recovery and that he's back out here soon. Looks like Darren hall will get the go, or at least that it's leaning that way right now, but I expect everybody D. Alford, um, Isaiah Oliver, everybody to kind of get in the mix here this weekend for Atlanta. But Darren Hall obviously earns this spot. Uh, I've, I kind of thought that he was really impressive this preseason, but no, we weren't talking about him. And part of that's on me. D. Alford got, you know, a, a lot of love and, and things like that. But Darren Hall has quietly in his second year been really, really solid. And he's looking like th- this Terry Fondno has put together a couple of good draft classes so far. I think what we're seeing with the rookies, I'll get to Arnold David Katie in a little bit, but I've been impressed with the young guys stepping up in key spots. Darren Hall made two huge plays against San Francisco. Really, you could say to help win them the game, um, but D Alfred obviously made a huge play against uh, Cleveland to help them win that game. So young guys in the secondary stepping up and there will be no bigger time for them to step up than on this Sunday. Uh, moving on. Let's talk about Marcus Mariota being named NFC Offensive Player of the Week. I want to say it's well-deserved. It's certainly well-deserved. I kind of wonder, like, there wasn't anybody else in the NFC that that did better, and that's not a slight to Marcus. It's just generally, you know, 13 to 14, two touchdowns, you know, under 150 passing yards, and it's not like he ran for 130 yards, but he did everything the Falcons needed him to, and that is the defining part, I think, of this season so far is guys – Doing what they need to, and kind of not that much more. Yes, when you're a Grady Jarrett, you've got the reign to go out and make plays. When you are an AJ Terrell, you've got the reign to go out there and make plays. Kyle Pitts, to some degree, if you know he would get those looks, but everybody else is doing a fantastic job of playing within themselves, of getting the most of themselves. And I, I think that Marcus Mariota is a little bit of the poster child. Like the things that he is doing are very difficult. And we don't necessarily give them the same amount of importance as we do for uh, you know, a 15-yard uh, out route or a 20-yard dagger. Some of these really, really hard throws that you have to make in the league, which, oh, by the way, like he can make those throws. Does he do it all the time? Is that the strength of his game? No. But some of these read options that he has to do, a lot of the moving pieces pre-snap, just kind of the calculus, I think, that has to go on in his head because a lot of this offense is built around... What is the advantageous look? And a lot of it has to happen within kind of a five-second window where a man's in motion or, all right, we got this, now I'm adjusting to this, and wait, did I see this correctly? Post-snap, oh, he's here, let me pull this. All of that stuff happens on the fly, and I think he has done a very good job of that part of this game. And so, yeah, he's going to have some days where he probably doesn't throw the ball as well as we want, but I don't think we should lose sight of all of the little nuances that he does really well. That does kind of make this run offense, for lack of a better word, run. Um, all right, final thing, injury report. I already mentioned Casey Hayward being uh, done, so he's out for this game for sure. Michael Walker missed this past week um, with a groin injury, did not play. He was out there, looked, looked great. Mohawk doing doing awesome. I think he's got a uh, yellowish, creamish color right now, looks sweet. He was a limited per- uh, participant on Wednesday so that's a pretty positive sign I think Troy Anderson played great in his stead but I think Mike Walker being out there um, certainly against Joe Mixon would be pretty huge in this game AJ Terrell I mentioned um, limited participation as well he seems pretty optimistic that he'll suit up for this all-important rematch against Jamar Chase man that's gonna be fun to watch. Ade Ogundeji, who did not play on a Sunday with a shoulder injury, also a limited participant. Taquan Graham knee limited participant um, D Alford, who I mentioned uh, did not practice. So maybe we won't see him out there should have read the injury report before he started recording. Will uh, and then Jared Bernhard Bernie out with a groin injury. Not that that's going to impact too, too much of the game plan, but notable there um, the Bengals. I think the biggest Injury concern to really look for them is uh, T. Higgins. Like he's anybody who's on fantasy ankle injury, he has played, but he was very much not effective two weeks ago. He was a little bit more effective last week. Seems like he's going to get better. Jamar Chase, also with a hip injury, listed as a limited participant. Again, I, I don't think he's in jeopardy of missing this game. Uh, and, you know, a couple linebackers out, nobody too, too major for them uh, defensively. So, Looks like the Falcons' biggest issue uh, going in here is obviously that Casey Hayward injury. I hope that they're able to get back some of those guys that I listed as limited participants all on the defense, so that's obviously huge. And then D. Alford will have to monitor him throughout the week because if he is missing, once again, that's going to be a pretty tough tough loss for the Falcons in a game that probably will feature a lot of passing. Um, Before we get to the preview of this matchup, that will feature probably a lot of passing, at least on the Bengals side. I wanted to run through uh, my notes from a pretty in-depth rewatch of the all 22 tape against the 49ers, because I'm just fascinated by what Arthur Smith is doing on the offense. So most of my attention was paid to the offense. That being said, there were a few things that stood out to me defensively that I will get into, but The main thing that I wanted to track when I was watching all of this is specifically how they lined up with the quarterback and how that impacted everything else. So I I charted it. Um, The Falcons ran, I believe, 56 plays in this game. I've got 59 here, three penalties. So those are counted in my notes um, that obviously aren't in the game stats. But they ran 18 plays out of shotgun, 18 plays out of center although their final drive, like the last four plays when they were kind of just killing clock, those were all under center. So it got skewed there a little bit towards the end. Uh, But shotgun center, 18 plays each, pistol formation, 23 snaps. And they ran pistol for most of the majority of the game when it was kind of like in the balance. I'd say from midway through the second quarter on uh, through like the end of the third quarter, a lot of pistol usage. As I mentioned um, on Sunday's podcast with Ovi, the reason for that is that it really does keep a defense honest. It keeps the front not really getting a tell one way or the other for where the strength of the run play is going to be. Yeah, you could still have a tight end on one side or yeah, you know, you could have two off- two receivers maybe split tight to the formation on another side, which could give an indicator of where the ball is going to go. But what the Falcons have done so, so well, and I noticed especially early on in games when you're trying to kind of poke and prod a defense to figure out what they're going to adjust to and how they're going to adjust. So then maybe you can set something up to take advantage of that adjustment a little bit later on in the game. They do such a good job of balancing their formations in unique ways. The pistol formation is part of that. They'll motion guys kind of into, maybe they'll start with a, like a, this is an obvious and very simple explanation, but like a three by one set pistol running back behind the quarterback. They'll motion the, uh, maybe the slot receiver into a tight end role on the left side uh, is more of an inline tight end position. Now, all of a sudden you've kind of flipped the strength, the run strength in particular to the tight end side. So away from where it was previously, you get to see how the defense is going to adjust and then you can kind of go from there, but it doesn't change anything for the offense and you get a little bit of a tell for the defense. That's an oversimplification of, of what Arthur Smith is doing at much more high level but he is using everybody to get these tells tight ends, running backs, receivers, um, fullbacks, loves a fullback. And this is allowing the offense to kind of get a head start on the defense. And it really is is telling with what they're able to do this season. It's It's kind of making the defense. Play on the defense a little bit, like wait and see, all right, I know where I'm going to go gap wise, but they're not able to set up in a, an advantageous way. They're not able to, you know, move the golf ball a little bit and get on top of the line instead of stuck in the divot where you currently hit it. That is all really benefiting um, Atlanta's offense in a huge way. And it was the number one thing that I wanted to look for uh, to see just, all right, how much are they using these different looks? But the key here is that they are also doing a lot of under center and a lot of shotgun. There are no real tells because this, This past game was way more pistol than I feel like they've used previously. I didn't go back and chart, you know, everything throughout the season because I'm not getting paid to do that, so I'm not going to do that. But they're going to mix up their their looks for every single team that they're going to play, every single defense. Defenses have a dictionary-sized kind of agenda that they have to prepare for when they're playing the Falcons because the Falcons will run the ball with anybody out of any look or throw the ball to anybody out of any look. And that's kind of the point, point. and that's why you're going to see shotgun for two plays, then we're under center with three tight ends out to the right, and we're giving you a power look, and then we're going to go shotgun for one play, and then we're going to motion into pistol from shotgun, so now all of a sudden you got to change your look, and it is just constant over and over and over again, and they decision fatigue the hell out of defense's. Because I can only imagine defensive players every single play having to make checks, having to say, all right, hey, look, they just did this. Hey, let's get ready for this on top of having to then react and run at the top at top speed and make these tackles or, you know, cover a receiver down the field. So it is just a physical and mental drain on opposing defenses. And especially when you're able to string together 11, 12 play drives like the Falcons have been able to do. So I was very impressed with the way they executed on Sunday against a defensive line that was still very good. That defense played hard. Frank Warner is a stud. They reacted to things so quickly and you could tell the the 49ers believe they're a good team based on how frustrated they were getting throughout the game on both sides of the ball. Debo Samuel frustrated in the fourth quarter on offense. Frank Warner frustrated as hell on defense throughout most of the game because they know they're good players and they just kind of couldn't break this wall that the Falcons were able to put in front of them. I also think that Marcus Mariota did a lot as a dropback passer. It's something that Arthur Smith said recently that he wanted to get better at that, that asset of the game um, or that aspect of the game is something that they wanted to improve because it can't just all be play action. It can't just all be, um, you know, based on the run because that's another element that then the other defense has to play for. It's okay. What if they use the back out in the uh, the route immediately what if they're able to motion him backwards or, or is the offensive line able to protect a straight drop back passing game and they were against san francisco i mean i think a majority of of marcus's plays and again he was 13 to 14 just one offense player of the week straight drop back not a lot of play action fakes not a lot of confusing the uh the linebackers at the second level with a, a play action fake but what they were doing is because they ran the ball so freaking well, those linebackers were right next to the line of scrimmage. Anyway, they were so far up. It's like they had done a play action fake already because of the way they were running the ball beforehand. And you know, that's what's old is new again. That used to be the whole concept of use the run to set up the pass. It's you draw those linebackers into the line of scrimmage just because you're running the ball so freaking well. And so that's what the Falcons are doing. But then to, allow Marcus Mariota to just immediately get into a drop pack and get those guys out of their routes a little bit longer and survey the field and see what's coming. That's an added benefit that I'm sure will pay off at some point in the future. Um, Maybe this weekend, if the Falcons find themselves behind against a dangerous Bengals offense. And the final thing that I wanted to mention about the offense in particular is, and this plays off a little bit of, of what I was saying earlier about how you set things up early on and then you can attack and pay off some of those later the Falcons offense is designed so that they can do like four different things off of the exact same look which again is a nightmare for defenses it's why Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech was kind of smart in my opinion yes it was so annoying that he would just always run the the option and that's not fun for fans and yeah I'm a Georgia fan I don't really care if Georgia Tech fans are bored sorry Georgia Tech fans that are Falcons fans we still love you for that reason but he couldn't recruit at the level to really compete toe to toe. So you have to use some trickery to gain yourself that advantage. I think, you know, the Falcons, a, I think that we kind of have underestimated maybe some of the talent around the league that they brought in. Uh, People do that all the time. It's, it's not our job to actively scout all these players. Terry Fondo has proven that he's very good at getting some players who maybe are underrated across the league or not regarded as highly as, as the household names. And he's done it once again because these guys are playing very well, but it's not like the Falcons have the cream of the crop of every position in the NFL. So they are using some of this mental trickery to, and it's not trickery, it's just mental complexity to gain their edges where they can. And there's one play in particular where early on in the game, the Falcons, uh, basically have a, uh, Shotgun look, Marcus Mariota's back there with with two guys standing next to him, directly beside him, running back, fullback. And Keith Smith, the fullback, runs essentially a split zone look, and they run um, split zone on the first play, handoff to the running back. Keith Smith crosses Marcus Mariota's face, blocks the backside defensive end. Boom, pretty simple play, just not usually out of a look like that. Later on in the game, they run the exact same look. Two running backs next to Marcus Mariota, same guys, run the inside or run the split zone uh, kind of action. But instead of making the block, Keith Smith just dips around the defensive end. Marcus Mariota fakes the handoff, pulls right out. And all of a sudden it's an easy pass to Keith Smith in the flat with most of the defense running totally in the opposite direction to follow the running back. And it's an easy 12 yard gain on first down. And that's a, again, a very simple way to, to describe this kind of complexity that Arthur Smith is bringing, but When you're able to do that on every single play and you kind of can always get into the right look because you have an answer somewhere, it's either A, B, C, or D, and if your quarterback knows which one to check, you've got a solution to kind of anything the defense is giving you. That's where the Falcons are having success. And again, it's it's the reason why we feel this offense is so much fun to watch because there's very few negative plays. It doesn't feel like things aren't working too, too often when this offense is on the field. A couple defensive notes before we kind of switch gears and talk about this week's game briefly. Arnold Abacate, a stud, dude. I didn't realize it in person when I was there because there's only so much you can kind of keep track of throughout the game. So you got to pick your spots a little bit, um, at least when you're there in person, because you don't have the benefit of the broadcast kind of drawing your attention to one thing or the other. Upon rewatch, I mean, he was a nightmare. They They brought in at one point, George Kittle started chipping him before going out into his routes because... I mean, even it seemed like when he was just dummy rushing and not 100% trying, like he was getting around the edge quickly. He would get around the edge, then set up some inside moves. He could bull rush. I was very impressed. He looked totally like a different player from the one that I watched coming out of Penn State in a, the best possible way. So I am all for him, even if Ade Ogundeji comes back. And, you know, I get that Ade is a good player in his in his own right. He has not had the best start to this season, but certainly on passing downs, Arnold Abicadee, looks like he is a real threat. Um, his quarterback pressure numbers are off the charts. Uh, he pretty much led all rookie edge defenders in a number of the main categories, hits, uh, pressures, hurries, all that good stuff last week. And the eye test backs it up. He was a nightmare out there. So Arnold Abcady, a huge standout for me on the defensive side of the ball, rewatching that game. Um, and then the last note that I had here, about the uh, the defense. The 49ers had some deep shots against Atlanta. The play that AJ Terrell injured himself on, uh, the deep shots, Ray Ray McLeod, was covered well. I think that that uh, was an example of great pass defense deep. Uh, certainly the Darren Hall breakup earlier was as well, but there were a couple of shots in this game where either Jimmy Garoppolo kind of didn't see his guy or saw him just a tick too late and then the pressure was able to get there. Or there were a couple of drops that hit the receivers in the hands. If, if the catch is made, you know, I think this game maybe turns out differently. There was a deep shot to Brandon. Ayuk, um, kind of when the 49ers were making some of their last gasp uh, responses to falling down 28, 14 there in the fourth quarter that if he had caught that, it would have flipped the field. The 49ers are, are suddenly in motion on that drive where they just couldn't get out of the shadow of their end zone. So The 49ers having some deep shots and they've got some good receivers of their own right. You know, Kittle, Ayuk, Debo Samuel, those guys are no joke. It makes me a little bit concerned, especially again with Casey Award being out about this weekend because I I think that there can be some deep holes. Now, every offense is different. They may totally drop back and just put a tent over the top of this thing like they did against Los Angeles, Um, against a player like Jamar Chase. You know, that might be a good approach, but if they do decide to play man, the 49ers had some looks that I think that they probably felt pretty good about. Um, so if Joe Burrow does as well, it's tough to think that twice in a week, some of the best players in the NFL will be dropping passes. So with that, let's pivot and, and talk a little bit about this matchup. I'm not going to spend too, too long on it because obviously I'm not an expert about the Bengals, but their offensive line protection issues are still real. They're, they've given up the third most sacks uh, in the league, but... The Bengals have responded by getting the ball out much, much quicker. They, I think, only ran, if I heard this correctly, on the uh, athletic football show, only two plays under center last week in their win against the Saints. And that's insane to me, but it also speaks to this team is kind of almost like a spread offense a little bit. They are not shy to get their best receivers on the field, Joe Mixon is the only running back standing next to Joe Burrow in shotgun and letting Joe Burrow see everything in front of him, letting him make the calls at the line of scrimmage. They're not going to change their personnel a ton, which is what the Falcons do. So that's kind of the difference. It's what Peyton Manning was so good at, right? You could simplify the offense and just give Peyton Manning the keys and let him get you into the right play. And you didn't have to sub these guys. Players didn't really have to know a whole wide laundry list of Of stuff to do they kind of know their role and Peyton could get them into the right play here everything's interchangeable it's a Swiss army knife type of approach guys are coming in they're coming out they've got to know every little play because on one play they could be making that split block the split zone block or they could be going out into the flat and have to receive that ball so high level of IQ is needed here I'm not saying that Cincinnati's offense isn't complex. I'm just saying the way they're kind of orchestrating it is a little bit different to what they're doing here in Atlanta. It's going to look a little bit more straightforward. It's just that they're giving Joe Burrow, you know, the the pen to check, see what the defense is doing and then go diagram the right play to, uh, to stop it. Joe, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase still have an amazing mind meld connection. That is still very real. And it's going to be real no matter what the offense is. They could go out there in a sandlot and just draw plays on the dirt. Those two guys are going to be hard to stop no matter but they're using Jamar chase a little bit differently than last year. Part of that is because teams are intentionally taking away some of the deep stuff that he was so good at last year, but he averaged about uh, 13 yards, I believe depth of chart target. Now it's kind of around like 8.9. So it's shorter. The yards uh, that he's running before the ball is thrown is I think like right under seven, right around like 6.8. So again, that's a lot less than last year. I think three yards shorter But they've expanded his route tree. They're finding ways to get the ball in his hands uh, in some very unique ways. Uh, Like we've started to see trending around the NFL, like they're moving him into the backfield. They're getting him some quicker looks. Joe Burrow's uh, time to throw is significantly down, which is why the offensive line thing is, is still a little bit problematic because you basically have designed an offense to get the ball out a little quicker like the Saints did for all those years with Drew Brees. It was so hard to get to Drew Brees because the ball was just out so much faster. The Bengals are still doing that really well. Um, but their offense has not been the most successful in the league. For all of the names that they have, there's a reason they are 3-3. Three and three. They've not run the ball very, very well. Uh, 89 yards per game, 27th in the league. Again, passing yards has been there, 248 uh, per game, which is eighth, but 6.5 per play, which is 16, so middle of the league there. So it's, again, it's kind of a volume thing. They are just passing the ball a lot more than a lot of the teams around the league. I believe they're sixth in pass attempts so far this season. So it's just going to be a different brand Of ball, but kind of one of the key factors here that I find very fascinating because usually when I think passing game, I think high volatility. Just like I mentioned, you could have a great play design, get the look you want, the receiver drops the deep ball, and then okay, now it's second and ten instead of potentially first and ten in the red zone. There's a high degree of volatility there. The Bengals are still are third on third down conversion percentage which is a spot higher than Atlanta. And Atlanta has been awesome on third down so far this year. But again, as a passing offense that surprises me a little bit and they're tied for eighth in the red zone. And again, when that space becomes condensed, how do you still manufacture some area for Joe Burrow to put the ball? Either, you know, their guys are just winning one-on-one at an incredible rate. Joe Burrow is putting the ball literally on a dime or You know, there's something that we will kind of see on on Sunday that may give us an idea of why they've been so successful in the red zone. The Falcons fifth in that metric, by the way, on offense. So they are definitely trending. I think they're third best over the last like three weeks uh, in the red zone. So obviously trending in the right direction there. But lastly, for the Bengals offense, 32 minutes and 19 seconds time of possession, third in the league. The Falcons, for all the running that they do, just under two seconds under 30 minutes per game which is tied for 16th. So again that's crazy to me that a team that throws the ball more frequently which incompletion stop the clock, uh out of bounds stop the clock, things like that interception turnover stop the clock. You would think that them throwing the ball much more frequently would lead to much more clock stoppage, hurts their time of possession, quicker three and outs, things like that whereas a team running the football keeping that clock moving you know, generally putting together these long drives like Atlanta, that they would be higher, but you know, time of possession is not everything. It can vary week to week, um, by a decent amount, but that's surprising to me. So I can't wait to watch this Bengals offense up close, uh, in, in this matchup because I'm just really fascinated right now, offensive scheme wise. And And I know that they've got so many good receivers at their disposal. T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, are two great ones i mean three guys over 300 yards i believe already joe mixon uh not as productive as he has been but the ball can only go so many places hayden Hurst, certainly we all know what can do here and it's just going to be a totally conflicting style of offensive football one team that really wants to set the pace on the ground early downs on the ground with their offensive line and the other that is kind of saying hey you can hold us in check for as long as you want. We're going to get Jamar chase to score 60 yard touchdown in the fourth quarter with two minutes remaining in the game. And then we're going to win a game that the saints kind of were controlling for most of that action. The Bengals still found a way to come back because that's how dangerous and explosive they are. So I can't wait to see which style again here kind of prevails, but Cincinnati's defense is the strength of this team right now. So far through the first six weeks, they have been the ones leading the way and keeping them in this. So it's another case of Atlanta's offense kind of going up against a great defense. You know, San Francisco's defense, awesome. Cleveland's defense, awesome. Tampa Bay's defense, awesome. Cincinnati's defense, I don't know if they're to that level yet, but defensive DVOA, they are currently eighth while Atlanta's offense is seventh. So again, it's going to be kind of can Atlanta beat a very good defense up front, impose its will, do all of the little things that I mentioned at the top of this podcast that gives them that advantage and maybe keep the ball away from a Bengals offense that likes to control the ball and control the clock and is explosive and can make those plays. If the Falcons can flip the time of possession in this game, if they can get a couple of turnovers to end possessions for the Bengals kind of right where they stand, then that is the best case uh, for Atlanta in this game, in my opinion. And that shouldn't be a shocker because that's pretty much going to be their uh, <laughs> best path of action in any game this season. Control the ball, do what you do on offense, get the run game going, and then make your shots when you've got them off of that, whether it be a back shoulder fade to Drake London down the left sideline, whether it be Kyle Pitts on a in the end zone on kind of a beautiful play action motion to get him a single look on the left-hand side. They fake a swing route screen to the right. The entire defense runs that way. It opens up a window for Kyle Pitts to run into, and and there you go. You connect for the first touchdown of the season for the big guy. Great to see, but it's, it's all of those little things against good defenses, and you have to be on your P's and Q's against the good defenses, which is why when Marcus Mariota has turnovers in the fourth quarter, when they've got penalties in the red zone, That's where they end up on the wrong side of these one score games this season. They're three and three. The games that they've played the cleanest, those are the victories. The games where there have been some of these key mistakes in critical situational aspects of the game, that's where they kind of fall a little bit short. Cincinnati's a good enough team to make them pay. I think we're all kind of waiting for this sleeping dragon to wake up and start just throwing haymakers like it did last year, certainly late in the year. They haven't been that so far. They've been more of a volatile team. Like I mentioned, the Falcons have been steady Eddie, which of those two things kind of breaks first because the Bengals can come out and deliver that absolute knockout punch. The Falcons have avoided that really, really well. The, the Rams game was the only time that they really kind of were on their heels this season and they found a way to get back into it. So we got the other side of the Super Bowl coin here this week. Can the Falcons kind of avoid falling into a 17-3 hole early? Because if they do, that's really going to get out of what they do well. I don't know if they have the firepower without some help from defense or special teams to really get back into those games, but this is a complete team. They have been playing complete games, so maybe they can. But bottom line, I really do think the Falcons are a decent team this year. The things that they're doing week in and week out are going to have them prepared for every single matchup. Again, the complexity on offense is going to give them somewhat of an advantage, I think, going into every single game uh, against a defense, even the best defenses in the league, as we've seen. So it kind of comes down to can Atlanta's offense make their chances count and can Atlanta's defense continue to get maybe one or two turnovers or these key stops on third downs? Uh, Big plays that set those guys back for for three and outs early on in the game. Little things like that, the plays that happen in the first quarter, second quarter, often do play a huge real role in the way the game pans out. And the Falcons have done a good job, and they definitely did last week, of kind of getting ahead of the the chain in those regards um, early on in the game. So, those are my thoughts on this matchup. Not as in-depth as I usually like to go, but I didn't have somebody else who knows much, much more about the Bengals than I do. So a little bit Falcons-heavy Falcons, uh, Falcons heavy preview for you all there. We're going to close out real quick with some mailbag questions. Got a few uh, in the inbox last week. Again, that is uh, believeinfalcons at gmail.com, B-L-E-A-V, in falcons at gmail.com if you guys ever have a question or a note and you want to shoot it over to Ovi and I uh, that is the place to do it a couple on Twitter as well so let me just get to these very quickly and then we will get out of here and you can start your weekend Um, all right so first one what are your thoughts on the draft class now that we are six games in I think that's a great question because now is kind of the right time I think we've had a large enough sample size to really gauge uh not only the roles of these draft class but kind of the way that they're faring and and just how they're doing with it all so you know first and foremost i think drake london has been rock solid Uh, i know he's had a little bit of a down couple of weeks here more of that i think has to do just with the offensive game planning um kind of maybe defenses now understanding a little bit more of the ways they can defend Drake London. They've got a little bit more of a scouting report against him, but mostly, uh, you know, I, I just think that part of it's the volume that's not coming that way. A lot of the, the times the Falcons aren't running three, four or five guys out into the routes. So, you know, a couple defenders on one receiver and, and it becomes harder, but by and large, I have no issues with Drake London at all. I think he has played extremely well so far, especially as a rookie Um, And I expect him to get back to putting up some pretty productive numbers, maybe not for long stretches of this season, but certainly on a game-to-game basis, they absolutely can. Arnold Evacati, I touched on earlier. uh, I thought he played amazingly against uh, the 49ers. The box uh, score stats have not necessarily been there if you're looking at sacks, but I think his best games are ahead of him, and I think he's absolutely deserving of some more action Uh, Moving forward, Troy Anderson, I think he filled in really, really well and admirably for Michael Walker being absent. Uh, If Michael Walker's back, I expect Troy Anderson to kind of move back into that rotational role that they've had him in and a key special teams player. Him chasing down Ray Ray McLeod on that punt return may have been my favorite play of the game. I mean, he was absolutely flying when he tracked him down. And that was really, really cool to see. Made me feel very optimistic for the future. I'm just curious as to what all Troy Anderson really has in his toolbox. He seems already like he's a great run defender. What else can he do? What else can he build, um, onto his skill set? That is kind of the question that I think we will try to answer throughout the season. Desmond Ritter look great in the preseason. Haven't really seen anything, uh, since, but so I can't answer this one. Um, but I wonder if we will see him. This season, based on the way that Marcus Mariota is playing, based on the way the season is going, uh, I know there's certainly a long way to go before we find the answer to that one, but we'll have to wait and see uh, on the Desmond Ritter front. D'Angelo Malone is kind of a little bit um, in the Arnold Epikati camp for me. Not as many kind of wow jump off the the screen plays, but I'd like to see what he can do with a little bit more playing time. He was considered more of the developmental prospect Um, coming in as a pass rusher what else could you build to his game uh, as well but i liked what i saw from him in the preseason and training camp and i want to see a little bit more from him out there in the game tyler algier is playing really well Uh, i think he's you know the falcons are gonna continue to do the running back by committee bit but he is certainly not looked out of place uh in any way shape or form when he's gotten the rock out there in fact Algier is currently fourth among rookies with uh, 235 rushing yards. So that's really good to see. Uh, he's a big reason why this Falcons offense has continued to kind of stay on track. He had a great play against 49ers where it was well blocked, but he slipped through a very narrow hole all by himself and, and picked up like 12, 13 yards on the play. So it was really impressive to see. I think he has played um, very well. And then kind of the later around guys, having gotten a, a ton from them, So far uh, this, this season, Justin Schaefer and, uh, and then John Fitzpatrick. So can't really speak to those guys. Um, But yeah, I've been impressed with the guys who have played. And and again, like I mentioned earlier, I think Terry Fondo and Arthur Smith so far since they've been here, it's been pretty solid on the draft front. And it looks like that is going to continue to be the case. Um, All right. So second question, you got a touchdown on Sunday, but why hasn't Kyle Pitts really broken out? Again, a little bit of the same thing as to what I was mentioning with Desmond Ritter, or not Desmond Ritter, Drake London earlier. I think part of it's just the volume thing. Uh, I for as great as Arthur Smith is with the run schemes and scheming up that part of the offense, sometimes you know the the pass routes, the concepts, um, and the route combinations don't seem as inventive as they do when when we're looking at the run game. And you know, I, I wonder if that will evolve. Throughout the season, I think it is part of the offense that takes a little bit longer to gel. They're obviously playing into Marcus's strength, so it could be what he's comfortable with as a quarterback, but not a lot of designed looks for Kyle Pitts. They got him that one for the touchdown. He's just kind of another guy out there running, running these routes when they do run these drop-back passing games, and a lot of them are quicker. They may be designed, here's where we want you to go with the football, and Kyle Pitts does still just kind of seem like you know he's out there. He's getting single covered. The ball's just not going his way for one reason or another. I can't really figure it out. Um, they all continue to say the right things. Marcus Mariota continues to say, you know, even when Kyle Pitts is covered, it's you got to treat him as he's open. But they're not really treating him like anything much so far, and it continues to be a little bit of a head scratcher. He's been really solid as a blocker. I I think it's uh, commendable improvement that he's made in that area because coming out of Florida, everybody was like, well, he's never going to be a blocker, but he's going to be awesome as a wide receiver for a long time. Well, he's definitely improved his blocking. Now we want to see the, the receiving part of it come to life. But again, I, you know, I, I haven't asked him this. I, but I bet he would say like, if the team's winning, I'm happy. And that's a little bit of the buy-in mentality. I think we're seeing from this team Who knows? We'll see moving forward again. These have been some great defenses they've played. Maybe they've had a plan to really take Kyle Pitts away. Maybe they get him a little bit more run here later on in the season. Uh, But yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the Kyle Pitts thing. I wish I had a better answer for you on that one. It's great to see him get a touchdown, but I would really like to see him do that on a day where he doesn't have like three catches for 16 yards. Um, All right. If the Falcons beat the Bengals on Sunday, do they go all in on trades? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the Falcons are going to be a a team that has some interesting trade rumors swirling about them because, you know, that's kind of the time of year is when you've got a team like the Giants or the Falcons or the Seahawks who people in the national media never really expected to maybe be in the conversation at the trade deadline. It's always fun to imagine the possibilities. And because those teams were perceived by everybody on the outside to have so many holes, it feels like, oh, man, if you get the Falcons this left guard, Perfect fit. They need an upgrade there, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, okay, but Elijah Wilkinson's actually been doing a pretty solid job there at the left guard. Do we want to mess with the chemistry of the offensive line? I think that given the Falcons financial situations, which really haven't improved at all and aren't going to improve this season and the cohesion that they really seem to be building as a locker room, as a team, as an offensive line, as a defensive line, as a secondary, as a running back group like that's all real. And it's something that you don't necessarily want to mess with when you've got a good thing going. So for that reason, I would, I would caution to maybe turn a blind ear. I know it's turn a blind eye, but turn a blind ear to these uh, trade rumors involving the Falcons. Sure, maybe they make like a legitimate known player for known player trade, but again, financially, like that's always going to be really hard for them to take on any sizable contract. I don't know if they want to trade draft picks considering where they still are. I don't think they're at that point yet where they can be like the Rams and just, you know, throw all the first rounds that they have to go get, you know, some veteran guys to make one final push. That's not where the Falcons are. I think it's much more likely they just kind of stand pat, stand with the status quo, and then maybe make a move or two, but not necessarily anything huge. This is not the baseball trade deadline. So I, I don't even, I say a move or two. I wouldn't be shocked if there's nothing coming, but. Some of these injuries, you never know. Could there be a corner or somebody out there that they feel like they could add to what is already a strength? Potentially. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're going all in on trades by any means. All right, let's do the last one here. Is this team really a playoff team in 2022? As of right now, I'm going to say yeah. Uh, and I, I, that's kind of shocking. I'm, it's shocking me a little bit because even though I'm usually, I think, optimistic on a day-to-day, maybe even week-to-week approach, Season-long-wise, I really, really try to guard against any type of hope. Um, call that the Falcons fan in me. Call that the uh, the Atlanta native in me. But I just am so afraid of being let down that I kind of tend to say, all right, yeah, but let's look at it on paper. This team's probably like a 6-7 win team, even though they've come out of the gates hot. The key difference here, though, is that they've come out of the gates and are at 500 with one game to go through what I believed was easily the toughest part of their schedule. And as I mentioned earlier, Pro Football Focus has the Falcons as having the easiest schedule, the remaining games on their slate. Yes, Cincinnati's going to be tough. Yeah, they've got a game, you know, another game remaining against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers later on. Yeah, they've got a game against uh, the Baltimore Ravens later on. But The Panthers are in there still to come twice. They've got the Pittsburgh Steelers. There are some, they've got Washington. There are some very winnable games on this Falcon schedule. And based on what I've seen so far, this does not seem like a team that is going to play down to the level of their opponent. And kind of when I talk about that volatility, that's what I'm getting at is can you be amazing guns blazing and clicking on all cylinders one week and then the next week you kind of leave your fan base going why did they just sleep through that game we're better than that team why on earth was it 19 to 16 and we ended up losing on a game winning field goal like what the heck happened this team consistently week in a week out you're going to get probably anywhere from 23 to 28 points from the offense defense you know a little bit more volatility there but probably going to get a turnover probably going to get at least uh you know a few three and outs in the game they've done a pretty good job of that so far so I look at these matchups with the Falcons, and when they get into playing the teams that they should beat, I expect them to beat them pretty handily. I expect them to look like they did against San Francisco, who I don't include in that category of of kind of bad teams. The teams that they've won against Seattle looks like you know a much better team than we thought they were when the Falcons won that game. Uh, Cleveland, you know, still continues to kind of fall in the Falcons category. I think a little bit where they are who they are each week to week. And sometimes that's good enough to win. Sometimes, you know, the ball doesn't go your way, but I consider them to be a good team. And then San Francisco, same deal. So the Bengals are in that category to me. I think that they have an outside shot of the playoffs, um, in the AFC only because the AFC is super duper hard, much harder. I think than the NFC, but it wouldn't shock me at all. If the Falcons go on the road, limit this Bengals offense and end up winning the game. Um, It also wouldn't shock me if the Bengals win this game as well, because I do think they are pound for pound a more talented team than Atlanta. It's just that I trust Atlanta to show up against the good teams and we'll see the rest of the way. But I expect them to also show up against the bad teams. And if they do that like they did last year and take care of business against the bad teams on their schedule, which we have yet to really see a lot of. Man, that is when you start looking at, all right, is is 10 wins possible for this team? Like eight, nine, 10 wins? And if we're talking about that, then yeah, this is a, a playoff team in the NFC, um, barring anything unforeseen at this moment. So that's it for the mailbag. Again, uh, I'll try to get to some more of the questions. Next time we do one of these, if you have any questions, shoot them over to uh, believeinfalcons at gmail.com. Maybe I'll start doing just one mailbag question or so, an episode. So feel free to send them there. As always, you can hit me up on Twitter at Will McFadden. Shoot them there. Shoot me a DM. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I promise you're not going to get this much of me moving forward. I don't want to talk this much (laughs) moving forward. I don't know if you guys can tell my voice is starting to get hoarse. Um, So I'm going to call it right here. Uh, Today's podcast as always, was presented by Bet Online. Please be on the lookout bright and early Monday morning. Ovi and I will be back breaking down this Falcons Bengals game. We're going to find out if Falcons can get over the 500 hump for the first time this season, or if we will still be waiting to see that happen later on in 2022. Um, but until then, guys, enjoy the weekend. Cold weather is finally upon us. Uh, if you got some some leaves to rake, I hope you do in the sunshine. I hope the weather warms up a little bit for you guys, but we'll see you again Brighton early on Monday morning. Until then, everybody, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe.